I'll read Exodus 28, verses 36 through 38. You shall also make a plate of pure gold and engrave on it like the engraving of a signet, holiness to the Lord. And you shall put it on a blue cord that it may be on the turban. It shall be on the front of the turban. So it shall be on Aaron's forehead that Aaron may bear the iniquity of the holy things which the children of Israel, Israel hallow in all their holy gifts. And it shall always be on his forehead that they may be accepted before the Lord. You shall skillfully, oh, I'm sorry, that's where I wanted to stop. The uh, tabernacle description here can be kind of boring. I remember as a young Christian reading through this when I, the first time I read through the Bible, and I thought, wow, do we really need this anymore? I mean, I was not very respectful of God's word as a young Christian. I, I was uh, still very selfish and very self-oriented. And yet, over the years, I've found God's uh, detailed prescription of such things to be more and more uh, illustrative of who our God is, how he wants us to behave, that he doesn't just throw things out willy-nilly. He has a plan, and he has a prescription for how he's going to fulfill that plan. So here in the midst of uh, Exodus 25 to 30, we have the whole description of the tabernacle, and then we have the priest's garments and exactly how they're to be made. And in verse 38, we read these words to all, these words were to always be on his forehead. So any priest that was serving before God had one of these turbans, and they had this emblem, and actually the Hebrew word refers to this gold plate as a flower. It, it's actually the literal word flower. And so it was thought to be very ornamental, and yet in it was written, holy to the Lord, or holiness to the Lord. And they were to have these words on that turban, on the center of their forehead. And why? In verse 38, why is it that the holy gifts of the people may be acceptable before the Lord? When you read about the whole Levitical sacrificial system, you can tend to forget that there's this one little part, this one little emblem that appears on the head of the high priest that's what makes it all acceptable to God. They're being obedient in this one task of having this being emblazoned on that gold flower and present on the priest's turban as he's ministering before the Lord. And it makes a special reference to it being on his forehead. And the forehead is meaningful in the Bible. And what's interesting is that it's meaningful to not only God, but to Satan as well. In Revelation 7, God's servants are marked on the forehead to prevent them from being harmed in the coming judgment. Then in Revelation 13 and 14, a mark of the beast is placed upon the foreheads of those that are not faithful to God. So what is this? What is this marking of the forehead? Well, it has to do with being consecrated to your master, of being devoted and faithful and obedient to your master. And that's what the priests did. By wearing that turban with that emblazoned there, they were declaring themselves consecrated and obedient to their God. Now, marking of the foreheads is not just unique to the Bible. Many of you may have seen Indian women with marks 
on their forehead, right here. There's a spot right between the eyebrows, just above it, where they'll put little dots. And the red dot typically signifies a single Indian woman, and a black dot signifies a married Indian woman. Now that is somewhat cultural. It's not so much religious anymore, especially now. It's more kind of like a part of makeup for women type of thing. But there are some times when you'll see marks on the heads of Indians that is specifically religious in nature. And the reason they put it there is that is the sixth chakra. That is the third eye in Hinduism. And so that's one of the points on the body that the Hindus essentially revere as a spot of power, spiritual essence, if you will. And so various of the Hindu gods require various marks to be on the foreheads of people. So when you go into the temple, when the Hindus go into the temple, they'll mark their forehead with the god that they're there to worship. Whether it's a dot or a line or three lines or angled, all of that has meaning to them. And so they go into that temple and they mark their foreheads. Christians often mark their foreheads, right? Once a year. Some celebrate Ash Wednesday that beginning of Christ 40 days in the wilderness, the beginning of what the Catholics refer to as Lent. And so they'll go up front and have a ashen cross placed on their forehead showing whose they are, who they belong to, who they are consecrating themselves to. So marking the forehead is also referred to as setting a seal upon the person. And just yesterday, Pastor Kaiser, at the wedding of Toby and Claire, spoke of seal. That's the text he used from Solomon, uh, Song of Solomon 8.6, talking about that being a seal on the arm. And he spoke, he elaborated on that as being a seal that is meant to be broken, meant to be opened only by the spouse, such that these new men and women, these new couple, husband and wife, are the only ones allowed to ever uh, pass beyond that seal. Set me as a seal upon your heart, a seal upon your arm, is, what, is how it reads. Now, let me turn to Revelation 7. I want to read you the portion there where we talk about marking. In Revelation 7, verses 1 through 3, we see this. After these things, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth that the wind should not blow on the earth, on the sea, or on any tree. Then I saw another angel descending, ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God. And he cried with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was granted to harm the earth and the sea, saying, Do not harm the earth, the sea, or the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. And so again, being consecrated to God is a form of that seal. You are being sealed for God exclusively. You are his property. You are his to do with as he will. In the New Testament, Paul refers to the seal several times. In 2 Corinthians 1.22, he says, God sealed us and has given us the spirit in our hearts. In other words, the spirit in our hearts is a seal that God has placed in you to show that ownership of you. In Ephesians, he references it twice. 1.13, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. And Ephesians 4.30, you were sealed for the day of redemption. And so you will be saved. Those that are sealed to God are saved for that day of redemption. They will be redeemed. Now, the priests 
represented God to the people, but they also represented the people to God. And that flower bearing the phrase, holy to the Lord, consecrated them for that role. The priests fulfilled their duties because they were under the protection of God under that banner. And Jesus, likewise, fulfilled his responsibility as a priest under a banner. And what did the banner say? What's funny, what's really ironic about this is that the banner was placed there by Pontius Pilate. But the banner is true. Jesus, King of the Jews, anointed by God to have that banner placed over him such that he can serve in that capacity. So Jesus was anointed and he was consecrated and he was sealed to that duty by his Father. And so that's who we celebrate here at this table. We celebrate what he's done and we celebrate in his honor and as those being sealed in like manner. We are sealed to serve God and we must do so. Father, we thank you. We thank you for the precious promises of Scripture, the symbolism that is just so present, uh, ever-present throughout all of the Old Testament, uh, a symbolism that perhaps uh, some new to the faith or some even maybe jaded in the faith have come to not understand, not understand the significance of it, the beauty of it, and the uh, fulfillment of it in Christ. Uh, there are just so many ways in which Christ and his life on this earth and what he suffered and died uh, fulfilled the promises, the symbolism of the Old Testament. So we thank you, Father, for every book, every chapter, every verse from the Old Testament. And we pray that you would have us to value them, to mine them for wealth, just as we mine all the other books of the Bible. Thank you, Lord, now. We pray for those that come before you now, that come up to partake of your bread and your wine. We pray, Lord, that they would know that they are consecrating themselves to you without any reservation to serve you and be your obedient servants. In Christ's name we pray and ask your blessing. Amen.